Hi, love. My name is Nitika Chopra, and I am your host for the podcast, Thriving Together. I'm so excited about this show because we are going to genuinely be on the journey together. I'll be sharing lots of behind the scenes and as many unfiltered moments from my life as I possibly can as I take you through what it has meant for me to learn how to thrive and the ways that I'm still learning every single day. While you will be on your own journey of thriving, figuring out what that means for you. And I know that so many of you out there might not even know if thriving is possible, but I want you to know through this podcast and this show that it absolutely is, but it has to be on your own terms. Thank you so much for being here with me and let's get started with thriving together. Hi there loves. I'm so pumped to be back with you for another episode of thriving together. Not going to lie, my spoons while recording this intro have been super low, so I'm going to cut to the chase today and make this intro really short, but the episode is so good, and um, I had so much fun sitting down with the founders of Datability and Alexa and Jacqueline Child, their sisters, and they created this mobile and web-based app to really make dating accessible for everyone. And they're just doing some really fun, interesting, great work. And they recently hosted our virtual Chronicon. So some of you might've connected with the two of them then, and they're actually going to be coming into Chronicon during the month of July, um, which is all about friendship and doing a whole like workshop with us, um, in the community as well. I'm not sure if by the time I've put, I've made this episode live, if I've posted the, um, event with them yet or not, but if not, it'll be up soon for those of you who are in the community with us. And yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump right in and let y'all get started. This is a great episode and I really hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody. I'm so excited to start this episode of Thriving Together with the amazing founders of Datability. I want you two to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. I'm Jacqueline, and I am the co-founder of Datability. I am a 28-year-old, almost 29-year-old woman, and I live in Denver, Colorado. Um, I became disabled due to chronic illness, and I really am new to this world of disability activism, um, advocacy, and I'm really excited to be a part of the community that I've been a member for so long. And I'm Alexa. I am Jacqueline's sister, older sister. I'm 33 and uh, I'm an attorney and I am a public interest attorney. So advocacy, social equity, social justice has been in my wheelhouse for as long as I can remember. And so now that Datability, um, which I'm the co-founder of, aligns with that mission and kind of gives me another purpose and I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you both for being here. It was um, just such a great like way that we connected. I think Jacqueline, you reached out to me initially, and it was so perfect because in Chronicon's community, we had just started this intimacy collective, and we had been talking about dating. And I know that's something that comes up a lot with uh, our Chronicon members, and even in the first Chronicon, people were like the first Chronicon event, people were like wanting to talk about it so much. And I always felt like 
guys, I'm just figuring it out. I have no idea like what I'm doing. I don't know how to talk about this in like a more public way. Um, and then, yeah, I think you had emailed me and shared that you were just starting this app and, you know, what you were up to. And then it just kind of aligned with what we were doing in the community as well. And um, people were so excited to learn about it. So I would love to, before we get into what Datability really does, I'd love to hear, I know Jacqueline, you shared a little bit about, you know, being a member of the disabled community and like being a part of that population for so long now, but what was your dating experiences, what were your dating experiences like before? Well, not, not good, <laughs> um, but you know, I became disabled when I was 14. So prior to that, you know, no dating experience. And then I really had a normal dating experience in high school. I had a long-term boyfriend. And then throughout college, I went to a very small college and everything seemed to be going fine for me. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to Denver um, after graduating college and I moved in with my sister that I just really experienced the ableism and the discrimination. I I had no idea that it would be this hard to date with a chronic illness. And I was just really taken aback at the offensive comments I would receive, the discrimination, the rejection. People would tell me all sorts of things like I was a burden or that, you know, their family members gave warnings about not to date a chronically ill person and that I shouldn't ever have biological kids because it would be really selfish to potentially pass anything down. And that happened over and over again, sometimes less blatant. Sometimes I would just disclose my disability and then it would, I'd never hear from the person again. Um, but it was always just so discouraging. And I would look at these people who have found their, their person and I was just so envious of their ability to open up and find that, that right person. And I knew that the person is out there for me, but I just needed some extra help finding them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like I know in the community, that's something that we talk about a lot. Just like a lot of times you see on dating profiles, they'll be like, I need an adventurer. I need a person who will go for a hike with me every Sunday. <laughs> and like, we are always just like, um, can we have a person to watch Netflix with and like order gluten-free pizza? Cause like that just <laughs> feels like way more up our alley. Um, so are those the kinds of things that you would kind of hear or tell us more about that? Yeah, it was all of that. And so, I mean, particularly in Colorado, it is so bad. Everyone plans their first date around hiking or skiing or rock climbing. And it's like, it seems to always be a competition of like, who is more active? And like, am I going to find that my person who can do every single activity with me? Which for any sort of interest that it's just doesn't usually work out like that. Like I, I'm not looking for a person to do every single thing with. And so, yeah, it was a bunch of that. And even Alexa, you can speak for your experience, but you notice it a ton. Yeah. I probably, I don't know if I would have noticed it if I didn't watch Jacqueline go through what she went through, but I see it all the time. I remember when I first moved to Denver. So we're from Telluride. 
everyone skis all the time. But when I first moved to Denver from the East Coast, I noticed always like Icon or Epic. Those are the two passes, ski passes you can get for the different mountains. And I was like, this is such a weird thing to put on your dating profile. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And now I see looking for someone who's healthy or who cares about their health. And I'm just like, what, what does that even mean, right? Jacqueline is chronically ill, but she cares about her health. She's, you know, she ta- that's her primary full-time job is taking care of her health, going to doctors, um, you know, doing restorative yoga, anything to help her, taking her rest days. And so what does that mean? And I just know it's like discriminatory. You just want someone who can run a marathon with you or hike. And as somebody who can do those things, I don't also necessarily need my partner to do them with me. I mean, I'm related to Jacqueline. We live together. I go off and do those things with my friends or on my own. And then I come back and we watch Bravo together. You know, we can have, you can have similar interests and differing interests. My future partner is never going to want to watch Real Housewives with me. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching it. We'll just not do it together. You know, that's something I'll do on my own or with my sister. And so I noticed it all the time. And I do think it's bad um out here but i think it's everywhere like especially with work from home now people are like looking for that person who can jet set the world with me on a moment's notice and it just doesn't work like that for so many people um like jacqueline and so yeah it's pretty wild out there yeah and what did it feel like to see your sister going through that like to watch her you know get those weird sad awful messages and be discouraged Yeah. I mean, it made me sad in a way. I tend to look at things from the light of good riddance because they're like that now. What happens? I wouldn't want to date that person because health is health. I say in quotes, it's temporary and it's ever evolving. I could literally be on a run in an hour and get hit by a car and never be able to walk again. I could be on a hike and slip and hit my head and have some kind of brain injury. And does that mean that a person like that, I don't see sticking it out in the long run. They would leave because they're, I wouldn't be the partner they were looking for. And so the same can be said for Jacqueline. If her health worsened or she was having a major surgery, that type of person's not going to be there to support you. And so I do take the lens of good riddance like by your their loss. But it is really sad because I want her to get married and find love if that's what she wants. And I know she wants that. And so it's sad because she's so beautiful and smart and kind and has so much to offer. And these people just leave for something that she can't even control. Yeah, it's really beautiful to hear, you know, your relationship with each other and just like how not only supportive, but like how much of a champion you are for Jacqueline. It really feels like for each other, you're just like rooting each other on. Is that something that you inherently always had as a family? I know we talk a lot in Chronicon about family relationships and how they can be really challenging and they can be rocky and, you know, bring up some of our biggest challenges with things like boundaries and stuff like that. So what has that been like for the two of you? How did you develop this closeness? Yeah, well, Whenever anyone asks, like, how how do I get through this, these health challenges, I always say I have the best support system, and I I truly know how lucky I am to have that. Um, you know, we're our, our only siblings, and we have two amazing parents, and we're all extremely tight-knit, probably codependent on all of each other, <laughs> but we're all very close. And, I mean, Alex and I – yeah, we have a great relationship, but you should also see us fight because it's can be ugly. <laughs> but 
after we fight and we get it out of our system, we can go back to this. And it's really nice. And Alexa has always been my champion, um, even when I can't do it for myself, because I've just, I've re always struggled with speaking up and speaking out. And throughout the years, spending more, more, more and more time with her, I've learned to develop those skills. But before she was, she was my mouthpiece and I would have gladly handed over the microphone to her because, you know, she has that confidence that can really make change. And, you know, she, she proves it every day that she is a fighter, um, for all people. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, our parents are very good role models. Our dad it became chronically ill when we were, I was in middle school. It was very sudden. One day he woke up and tried to get out of bed and couldn't walk. Um, and prior to that, he was a um, professional horseback rider, traveler, um, jet skier, anything. And I, we watched, you know, while we probably didn't realize it in that moment, watching our mom stick by him and help him through that and through his ups and downs is probably what we modeled our relationship after in a way. Wow. I didn't know that about your journey. Thank you for sharing that with us because I do think it helps people to understand. And even what you were saying, Alexa, about how like you know, obviously we don't wish it on anyone, but like it can it's a population, it's it's a minority that anyone can be a part of at any time. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think uh unfortunately, people who are able-bodied or you know have never had a chronic condition, um, and I know people like this, you know, in my own life who just don't see the world that way. They just really think that they are untouchable with these things. And again, we don't wish them on anyone, but it's the reality is like most people will probably experience some chronic condition, uh, you know, in their lifetime. And so, yeah, that's really powerful to just like remember. And I'd love to talk a little bit about datability. Because I just think it's so cool. Um, I think it's so cool. I, I feel like I heard people, you know, like just when I would meet folks in the in the communities and different, you know, conversations um, for chronic illness, like I've heard people say they should have an app for just like the chronically ill and like for folks who are disabled and, you know, have it be something that's cool and interesting and like actually speaks to our, you know, community. And um, you did it. Like yep. you made it. So I want to hear, uh, I want to hear everything. I want to hear, obviously we know a little bit about what sparked you to create it. Um, but like, how did it go from you having a bunch of crappy dating experiences to all of a sudden, you know, Jacqueline and Alexa are creating the next revolutionary dating app? Yeah. So I have pretty severe gastroparesis and after, you know, year and a half of really fighting off the mention, any mention of getting a feeding tube. I was basically forced into getting one uh, just through my medical team. And once, once I discussed that with my family, you know, we all just really panicked and, and we considered how that would change just my everyday life and not eating all the time and how that would change the relationships and the activities that we can do as a family and living with Alexa. And then even further, we panicked about what, how that looks like for dating because yeah, I can't go on a hike for my first date like everyone else likes to hear. So I always suggest grabbing a drink or grabbing a bite to eat. And this would have to change. And 
Alexa just really suggested like, or I think maybe I said, I just wish there was a dating app for, for people like me. And it would just be so much easier if I could meet someone who understood having a chronic illness. And Alexa said, well, let's just make one. And we called our parents and asked them what they thought and they, they supported us and we got going and we were literally working on it from my hospital room during my recovery. So, I mean, it's been such an incredible journey and yeah, it's just the fact that there really hasn't been a well thought out modern day dating app for the disabled population just speaks volume to what the world really thinks of disabled people. We're always the last in line to be included, to be thought of, to make things accessible. And it's it's really sad. Yeah, we asked our parents because we grew up with brutally honest parents. Like I did not grow up with the mom being like, you can be whatever you want to be. That was not my childhood experience. (laughs) So I was like, this is who we're going to run it by first, right? Because they'll tell us if this is a no-go before we embark on this journey. But they were like, I think it's a great idea. They also watched Jacqueline struggle and she knew she wasn't alone. It is the largest minority. It is ever growing. The pandemic has thrown a whole lot of new people into that world, unfortunately. And, you know, things are just, you know, getting people age into disability, but then they also just randomly, you know, they'll be 40 and something will happen like our dad and you don't really know. And so, yeah, we created Datability. We wanted it to be like a hinge or a bumble. Uh, You know, we know there have been attempts to make a dating app for the disabled population, but I don't think it was made by someone who's a part of the community or really cared. And so the tech is shoddy and it looks terrible. We wanted it to look and feel like every other modern day dating app, but special. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. First of all, I love that you were like, let's ask our toughest critics. Like, they're also your greatest supporters, which is beautiful, um, which is amazing. I, I feel like my friend Stacey London is is that person for me. I know you all you recently talked to her, but she was the last person. I've told the story so many times, but she was the last person I told about Chronicon because I was like, if it sucks, she's going to tell me. And I'm like, I want to get my thoughts together first. Um, she'll also tell me if it's good, you know, but yeah, her response was, um, as many of you listening know, because I've told the story before, but her response was, that's it. Like, that's what you need to be doing with your life. And I was like, thank you, God, because I don't know if I could have handled it if you would have told me this is a horrible idea. And she's totally someone who would have said that. Um, so I get it. I get asking the person that you know loves you and also will tell you if it's a silly idea. Um, because they love us. They'll tell right. us that idea, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I really, I love that. And I think it's so, honestly, I do think it's really brave for you guys to just be like, well, and like tech is no joke. It's such a boys club. I mean, it's getting less and less. So it's getting more balanced, but still we have so more, so much more to go. Um, and so was that intimidating? Like even just like the you know, the technical part of things and like the creation aspect, obviously you have the emotional tie-in, but what about that part? Yeah, that's a good point. And we're learning still that it's very much a boys club now that we're looking for investors. Everyone keeps telling us that because we're two female founders, if one of us was a man or both of us were men, we would have like all of our round raised so much quicker. And I don't really understand that, but 
Okay. That's another story and another conversation for another time. Um, our tech team is all men, the ones, you know, who do the coding, but we designed the app pen to paper at what every page was going to look like. And then Jacqueline has more tech skills and graphic design skills than I do. And she put it into Canva and we, and made all the logos and icons and we decided what the app was going to look like. And so it's in a way, while our tech team is all men, we're also telling them exactly what we want. And they're the ones who are executing and delivering it. But we made all of those decisions. Yeah. But it is, it's a hard road to go down. Um, Harder than we ever imagined it to be. And I mean, I just think back to the things that we were stressing about in the beginning. And it's like, oh, if we just could have (laughs) known what we would be stressing about now, it's, it's hard. And it's, you know, there's glitches and there's bugs and there's customer service and marketing and we're doing it all. So it's, it's really, it's a long process, but I know that it's going to pay off in the end. We're just going to give this community something that everyone has wanted for so long. And it's just like, you know, we, we get some comments from people who say they, they don't want to date other disabled people or other people with chronic illness. And that's totally fine. We're not forcing anyone to join, but it's also that we promote diversity and there are such, there's such a variety of chronic illnesses and disabilities on dateability that you might be matching with someone who's deaf or you might be matching someone who is, has autism. And so, I mean, it's just, you know, don't be so short-sighted is my, is my suggestion and give everyone a chance because at the end of the day, we want everyone to give us a chance. So don't write anyone off. Yeah. I mean, one user could be a wheelchair user and they could match and fall in love with someone who has depression. Like, you know, they're totally different disabilities and they manifest in different ways. Um, And we also do welcome and encourage able-bodied, non-disabled people to join. We think it's like a really good way to weed out the people who are going to discriminate against you because they're never going to join dateability. But if there's an able-bodied person on there, you know that they have a sense of compassion, empathy, understanding already for whatever reason, and they don't view your disability or chronic illness as a negative. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, the diversity is key here. I think that's so smart. And um, yeah, to have people who are just open to the conversation and like not writing us off, I think is huge. Um, And I love the way you said that too. Like, I think it was Jacqueline who said like, we don't want people to write us off. So like, you know, let's be open-minded with other people as well. Um, And you know, one of the things that I found with Chronicon that has been probably one of our challenges that I didn't expect to be a challenge because, and maybe Jacqueline, maybe you'll resonate with this too. I'm not sure, but I got my first chronic illness when I was 10. So this whole concept of like not identifying as someone who has a chronic illness is just like completely foreign to me. I'm just like, what are you talking about? And then not to mention my first chronic illness was severely visible. Like it was covering 98% of my body and you could see it, you know? So there was no getting around whether or not I had something going on, you know, it's really obvious. So I wanted to know, like, do you have any of those kinds of challenges where people, um, you know, find it to be a community or a population that they might not want to identify as, or that they might not even know that they're allowed to identify as what have been from both of you, what have been some of those situations you've come up against? Yeah, I definitely see that in other people. 
I don't think I have ever really struggled with like personally identifying as disabled, but I have definitely struggled with verbalizing that I have a disability. Um, Like with every bone in my body, I know that I'm disabled, but there are times where I just like don't want to tell someone I'm disabled and it's, you know, it all comes down to internalized ableism and, and just fear of what the other person's going to think of me. But I see that a lot. And I see it's since launching Datability, people saying, oh, you know, I think this person might be disabled, but I don't want to offend them, but I want them to know about Datability. And I want to get to that place where asking if someone's disabled isn't insulting. And that, I mean, because, I mean, I would not be insulted if someone asked me if I'm disabled. And I also see this trend, like side note, on social media where people will comment to like be funny on people's lives. Like, do you have a disability? And people get so offended and they do that for the reactions. And I think it's just so bizarre and so weird, but that's another tangent. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I think that it, it does come with within and it does take time. Um, I think like newly diagnosed people can often struggle with identifying as disabled and, and it can definitely be easier when you have a visible disability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people still doubt me all the time. Um, people I know, people I don't know, strangers. And it's it's tough to have an invisible disability and have to feel like you have to prove yourself and defend yourself and really like compensate for your disabilities. Yeah, I've noticed it too. I've seen comments and I, you know, as someone who's not part of that community, so this is, you know, pretty foreign to me and it kind of surprised me to see how much like people would, there would be a few comments here and there, like I would never date someone like me. And I'm like, don't they realize that they're like talking shit about themselves essentially? And Jacqueline went through this where she years ago said, I would never date someone who is chronically ill or disabled. And I'm going to speak for you. You went to therapy and you are still in therapy and your therapist asked you, okay, well, why should someone date you? If you're disabled and chronically ill, tell me why someone should date you. And you said, I'm kind, smart, nice, whatever. And she was like, okay, well, why can't someone else who's disabled and chronically ill be all those things also? And you're basically saying, by saying, I'm not going to date someone like me, that no one else should date you either. Um, And I think that finally was like a light bulb and went off in your head and you realized, yeah, you were discriminating against yourself and people like you this entire time. And it makes me sad for those people because I just don't think they fully accepted it. You know, I just wish that they understood. Um, And also, you know, I do understand if there are mobility limitations, wanting a partner who fills some of the gaps. But Datability offers that because you can, like, we have all of these different disabilities on there. So you can find that. Um, But I think it's really we really want to emphasize that being disabled or chronically ill is not a negative. It's just a fact about somebody like we all have brown hair and I hope that datability gets, you know, does change that for some people. And I know it has, like we've heard from people who maybe they don't find, haven't found their match on datability yet, but they said that it's really caused them to think about dating and being in a relationship as a disabled person and made them rethink and reevaluate things. And so at least if we're doing that, we're successful. 
Yeah, I think I remember when we first spoke, I think you had mentioned something about how you want it to be just as, you know, common as someone saying that they have brown hair and talking about those parts of themselves on their dating profile, like saying that you're a wheelchair user or, you know, that you have a feeding tube or whatever it might be. Like that is something that is also just a part of who you are. And it's not, it doesn't have to be such a big deal. Um, and I do think that, you know, unfortunately, like, I always say this, like, I hate that we're the ones that have to do this advocacy, you know, because I'm just like, we're already tired. Like, why do we also have to, like, try to go up against the entire system and try to change the system? But I do think it's also really powerful that we're able to show people so many different stories around these conversations and around these life experiences and, you know, if we don't do it, I don't think anybody else will, honestly. And I think That's we've seen good. that. Yeah. yeah, that's the key is that if we don't talk about it, no one else will. Yeah. And we see that we see this a lot in meetings where just like people I, I openly admit and there's like I never have put any thought into what it could be like to date as a disabled person. And I'm like, wow, like I mean, that it's a privilege to to be able to think like that. And it's a privilege to not have to worry about dating and even just basic accessibility needs. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's unfortunately up to us to do, to do all of that hard work, but yeah, if we're not going to do it, no one else will. Yeah. yeah. I'm so happy that we're all doing it. Like it, we yes. need, we need it for sure. And you know, the other thing that is coming up for me as we chat is also like, as much as we talked about, you know, the people who are out there that might not know that they are a part of this population or might not feel comfortable owning that they you know have a disability or chronic illness. One of the things that we do at Chronicon a lot is we really work on not like over identifying with our health as well, which I think is like, I think both are so important, you know? Um, and I know for me personally, I've had to work through both, right? So when you were talking about having an invisible disability, I just, I remember the years when I first moved to New York and I would take the subway and my arthritis was so bad. Like it hurt. And I was like 21. Like I looked and I, even though I had psoriasis all over me, I would always wear like long sleeves and pants. So like no one would see it necessarily. Um, and people just thought I was like a young girl. So they were like, why do you need a seat on the subway? And I was literally standing there in so much pain and felt so much shame trying to get a seat on the subway. Um, so I totally understand like that aspect of things. And then I also understand the other side of it, which is where I found around that same time, I would sort of walk into a lot of social situations and not know a lot about myself other than I was sick. And I would sort of be like, hi, I'm Nitika. I have arthritis and psoriasis and I don't know anything about myself. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it was also, I was married at the time and, you know, I, a lot of that changed after I got divorced and I really worked on finding myself and, and stuff like that. But I find that that is a nuanced conversation too, you know, like how, so tell me, I, I can see both of you nodding because we have a video uh, for yes. those of you who are listening in. So tell me like what comes up for you when I bring that up? Absolutely. A thousand percent. I, for, for a while, I realized that I really didn't see anything outside of my life besides like my disability. My life was focused on that. And I wasn't like exploring my curiosity for other things. Like I didn't feel like I had any hobbies or 
any thoughts outside of managing this chronic illness. And it almost was like, well, if I'm not putting all my thoughts and efforts towards being, trying to manage this life with chronic illness or disabled, then like, I'm not really disabled or I don't really have a huge problem. And that, that just, it's exhausting and it's exhausting to really have all your focus be on. For me, it was like the worst part of my life. Um, And I don't, I think I really saw a change, honestly, during the pandemic. And I was forced to explore what life looks like outside of just like having a disability and you know, everyone was locked down. Everyone was kind of living the life that I felt I had been living for so many years, isolated, being a homebody, being confined to their couch. Um, And so I picked up, you know, I started doing my walks and every day I would see if I could push myself another block and I would start doing some yoga and I would pick up, I picked up reading again. And I really just found that there's just so much more to me and I will be so much happier in the long run if I really figure out who I am outside of this, because at the end of the day, like if there was a cure for all of my diseases and I could take it tomorrow and be cured, like I, five years ago, I don't think I would have known who I was and how I could move on from that. But now I feel secure that I could say, all right, if I woke up tomorrow with none of my chronic illnesses, I could, I think, live a pretty similar life as to what I'm living now. And, and, you know, none of my symptoms have changed since then, arguably, they've gotten worse. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really taking what you have and making your life out of it and bringing in those those outside factors. Yeah. And Datability tries to do that too. Each profile has a section called Datability Deets. And we try to try to make it like a little more fun. And it's broad descriptive terms like wheelchair user, immunocompromised, chronic pain. And a user can check off what best applies to them or type in. But it's just a section on the profile, like under basic information. And that's kind of where we want to keep it. Like it's part of you. You know, and it's something that makes up a person, but it's not all of you and we don't contain diagnoses or anything like that. It's just a fact. It's neutral, like your hometown and where you went to college, if you went to college. And we try to achieve that too. And then, you know, we have a place for a bio. So then you can put your hobbies and what you like to do and all that more personal information um, as well as pictures. And so, yeah, we try to do that because we don't want it to make disability like you're just your identity and your only identity. Yeah. And unfortunately, I I do see a lot of people being stuck in that in that rut of making it all about their disability. And and I feel for them because it's really it sucks all your energy and it's it's a hard way to live just focusing on one thing. Um, So I I feel for people who are stuck there because, yeah, I definitely was there and I'm I'm just a lot more fulfilled being on the other side of it. Yeah, I think it is such a nuanced conversation like that I definitely know 
I'm going to continue to be like unpacking, especially for those in Chronicon, because it's like even just from a marketing perspective, <laughs> like just to take it there, you know, I'm like, OK, I don't want us to over identify with our chronic illnesses, but I'm going to talk to us about the fact that we all have chronic illnesses. Um, it's just like it's hard, you know, and I think it's part of the growth edge because we don't live in a world where we just are a part of it and where we have the visibility and where we have the change that we so deserve, we do have to sort of, you know, wave our hand and say like, look at me, look at what I'm going through. This really is very hard and I'm not the only one. Um, and we have to do that a lot. We have to sort of be like the squeaky wheel or whatever that saying is, you know, um, because people don't really like you were saying when you're in meetings and people are like, I never thought about that. Um, so it, I think it is this nuanced thing. But my hope and I, I don't know if you resonate with this as well, but my hope and I think you do because you sort of mentioned this already is just that it becomes such a part of our daily lives, of our media, of our, you know, experiences like dating, like looking for a job, like all these different things. And it doesn't become something where we have to draw all of our attention to it all the time because it's just a part of our lives. And I think that would be such a beautiful thing to be able to see. Yeah, we agree. I mean, we really are trying to build a community that is all encompassing and it's you know, people get, get fulfillment out of it. So, you know, we're a dating app, but like Chronicon, we also want to add a friendship feature and have these foster these friendships, female, male, male, female, you know, whatever. Um, and really create a community like you're doing as well, where you have shared perspective, empathy and understanding, but then you can also have a picnic in the park together and do something totally unrelated to your chronic illness or disability. Uh, that's really our goal. Yeah, I think, you know, even finding conversation with people who get you, but you don't always have to talk about your chronic illness, but you could, you know, if someone asks you a question, you don't have to like think long and hard about how you're going to present that to make yourself not look like you're chronically ill or, or try to compensate for that. And you can just have these, yeah, shared understanding that life is a little different for, for chronically ill and disabled people. Yeah, that's so, so, so important. And um, yeah, I love that you're going to have like a friendship feature. I think that's so great. And I feel like there needs to be a way that we do a collaboration with Chronicon because we have people who are making real life friends in Chronicon all the time, which is just like the coolest thing. Um, I literally get like so happy when we get pictures on our feed of like, I just met such and such member and like, oh my God, it's the best feeling. Oh, I love that. Uh, it's really great. And that was actually the impetus for creating Chronicon was, um, you know, it started right after our first event when the pandemic started and everyone said that they just wanted friends. And I was like, all right, guys, um, that's nice. But how am I supposed to help you get friends? Like, I'm living alone in New York, you know, <laughs> trying to figure this thing out uh, as well. And it's been really rewarding to see that that's just like what's happened naturally because the people there are so, so wonderful. Um, so I'm excited to see like how that part of the app grows. And I think a lot of people will really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, and, you know, I just I have loved having this conversation. I know we're about at the end. But for each of you, I wanted to know, what does your version of thriving look like? Thriving for me is, you know, more than surviving. I think a lot of times we, it's, you know, we say like, it's okay if you just survive today. And that is what a lot of our days look like. But 
for me, thriving is enjoying every moment that you're in, in the present and, you know, smiling at the little things, smiling at the big things and soaking up every minute that we have. Um, I think we all know how fragile life is and really valuing the limited time we have together and just, yeah, making the most of, of my life with who I am now, because that's, I have one body and I don't see anything changing anytime soon. So I'm going to make the most out of it. And oh, for me thriving, probably finding a balance between taking care of myself and taking care of others. I really put a lot of emphasis on, I think that I was put on this earth to make change for people who don't have a voice um, and to use my privilege for good. Um, And so for me, like when I think about what it'll look like when I'm thriving is when I'm some well-known activist, but also taking care of myself because I know that a lot of times like we don't, you know, we can't find that balance, but enjoying, like Jacqueline said, the little things and, you know, still being able to do what I enjoy while making the world a better place. I love that. And I really resonate with all of it, but especially what you said, Alexa, about like when you are wanting to take care of others and make sure other people are, you know, just like supported in a real way, it can really be hard to take care of yourself at the same time. So something I'm always working on Mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that. And I so appreciate you both taking the time to spend some time with me today. And I know our audience is going to really love hearing your story and just, you know, when you see things online, it's like always hard to know, like, where does it come from? What's the, like, who's behind it, you know? So I think it's really important that your story is shared and, you know, your love for each other and for your mission and everything. I think it's it's super important that it keeps getting out there. So thank you for taking the time to, t- to share it with us. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. All right, loves, I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Thriving Together podcast. If you did, I would love to have you subscribe either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and please be sure to rate and review the show, especially if you liked it, because it really helps make sure that this content gets to more and more people. Thanks so much for listening, and I cannot wait to be with you for the next episode.